Ahead of the G7 summit, the group of seven's top financial leaders gathered in Niigata, Japan over the weekend to discuss pressing global economic issues. They vowed support for Ukraine and reaffirmed their will to enforce sanctions against Russia, while also pledging to bring global inflation under control and boost resilience against various shocks. The U.S. banking crisis and the country's possible default from a debt stalemate was also frequently mentioned at the meeting. Let's talk more about this with Professor Yang Jun-seok at the Catholic University of Korea. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. So, Professor, what are the key takeaways from this uh, G7 financial leaders meeting and uh, what grabbed your attention the most during this year's gathering? Okay, well, the uh, following points were included in the G7 finance minister's statement. Uh, there's about six points. Mm-hmm. Uh, first is the uncertainty over the current state of global finance and economy. Second is their support for Ukraine. Third is the need to reinforce effectiveness of sanctions against Russia. The fourth is the need to reinforce economic resilience. And that's talking about supply chain resilience. So they're talking about things like friendshoring, uh, keeping the uh, supply chain uh, to trusted uh, trade uh, countries. Uh, fifth, need, uh, the uh, need to uh, support low and middle class, uh, middle income countries. Uh, and lastly, the need for global finance to assist decarbonization that's dealing with climate change. So there were diverse issues which were discussed and uh, several uh, different issues. Uh, but what seems to be interesting is that I've looked at several different articles from uh, around the world, and they all seem to be emphasizing different things. And some of the uh, things that are being emphasized were not explicitly mentioned in the statement. Uh, that includes the uh, U- concerns about the uh, U.S. debt default, though implicitly that was inc- included in the uncertainty portion of the uh, statement. Uh, some uh, articles concentrated on the uh, supply chain measures, some on the Ukraine measures. Uh, some uh, articles also uh, mentioned data supervisory and regulatory gaps in the banking system uh, dealing with uh, some of the bank failures in the United States and possible concerns about that in the uh, global financial markets. Again, that was not explicitly mentioned in the statement, uh, but it was implicitly included in the uncertainty portion. Uh, And then, of course, uh, some uh, reporters harped on uh, the uh, friendshoring aspect of the uh, declaration. Uh, so it uh, seems like uh, we have a lot of major issues in the uh, global finance uh, and the uh, global econ- economy, uh, but different countries are interested in different things. Uh, for me personally, the uh, one that uh, I think needs the biggest attention is the uh, debt U.S. debt default and the uh, regulatory problems in the U.S. banking sector. But again, different countries seem to focus on different emphasis. So uh, it does seem like there's a lot of major issues uh, and countries may not be focused on uh, the same thing as being the 
most important issue. Okay, well, let's put the spotlight a little bit more on the issue that you feel is the most pressing. The joint statement, of course, like you mentioned, uh, didn't make uh, any mention of um, the U.S. debt ceiling uh, stalemate, uh, also the possible debt crisis, and the possibility of the uh, United States actually defaulting for the first time in its history. Um, But why are the Democrats and Republicans failing to strike a deal here? Okay, well, the uh, U.S. debt ceiling law limits the amount that the U.S. government can borrow, and it's not because the U.S. does not have the ability to borrow. It's not that uh, people do not believe the United States can pay back the debt. It's just they put the limits by law. Uh, so uh, it's uh, something that's artificially created. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the so-called X date of June 1st, they don't know exactly what that date is going to be. Uh, basically, the United States government runs out of money. So from that X date onwards, they can only spend uh, every day what they receive every day. Uh, so that means a lot of uh, government obligations will not uh, be carried out, and if uh, that what part of that ab- obligation that they cannot pay includes interest rate payments or principal payments, uh, then the United States goes into default. And again, uh, this is not because the U.S. Uh, government is in a bad financial position. It's not because people believe that the United States cannot pay back their debt. It's just a legal limit. And the uh, People who oppose uh, the uh, debt limit, uh, they believe that debt limit nullifies what Congress does. Uh, Congress passes laws which obligate spending. Uh, so they're technically, because they pass the Congress, they're technically laws. Uh, but uh, because uh, these laws may not be carried out because of that debt limit, they're basically nullifying uh, what Congress has told them to do, in some hand, in some ways, you can see it as the uh, left hand uh, um, uh, be uh, holding the uh, right hand of Congress. Uh, so they're sort of nullifying what they do, uh, and uh, that is ideal. Uh, that is uh, theoretically why some people are opposed to the debt limit. Other people believe that the uh, debt limit is useful because Congress spends too much without really calculating how much they spend. So this is a way to rein in the impulse of uh, Congress to spend. Now, that is the theoretical aspect of it. The political reality, though, is that uh, this uh, may be used, uh, used as a political fighting tool uh, since 1997. Uh, 1995, excuse me, mm-hmm. 1995, uh, there has been, this is the fourth uh, confrontation about the uh, debt uh, limit, and they've all been Republicans attacking a Democratic president, uh, 95 uh, with Clinton, uh, 2011 and 2013 with Obama, and now 2023 with Biden. Uh, and uh, when Republican presidents uh, were in power, uh, the uh, Republican Congress didn't uh, pursue uh, debt limits at all. Uh, President Trump, under President Trump, the uh, debt limit was raised four times, and the uh, President Trump had higher government deficits 
than President Biden, even though some of that was because of the pandemic. Uh, so uh, a lot of people do believe that this is not a true concern over spending in Congress, but just a political tool uh, to uh, uh, for Republicans. Uh, and that's also one of the reasons why uh, the uh, standoff is occurring now. So this is basically a game of chicken. Uh, they know that uh, once uh, U.S. Uh, government goes into default, uh, there might be catastrophic consequences. Uh, so uh, basically, they're waiting to see which side blinks first. Well, uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who was also present at the uh, financial leaders meeting, urged the U.S. Congress to raise its debt ceiling, warning that a U.S. default would produce, quote-unquote, economic and financial catastrophe that would trigger a global economic downturn. So if it did happen, how do you gauge its impact on the world economy and also on the Korean economy here? Okay, well, if you look at the uh, past uh, confrontations, uh, once X state has passed, uh, the United States cannot pay for all of its uh, obligated spending, then what they do is they shut down parts of the government. Um, now, it did have effect on Korea and other countries which export to the United States because uh, part of that, uh, part of the uh, customs clearance uh, was shut down, so exports were taking a long time to get to the United States. Uh, and then uh, there was a large effect on the uh, stock market 2011, uh, for example, there were uh, changes of 4 to 5% uh, per day uh, in the U.S. stock markets, changes of 3 to 6% per day in European markets. For Korean stock market, Kospi lost about 17% over one week. Uh, and then uh, the uh, some of the calculations which are done, uh, the Moody's calculates that if the uh, default is extended for a, m- a couple of months, uh, then the U.S. GDP will for, uh, fall by four percentage points. Uh, Seven million jobs would be lost. White House did a similar calculation, and their answer is worse. Uh, GDP would lose about 6.1 percentage points, and 8.3 million jobs would be lost. So this is uh, obviously a major catastrophe. Uh, but even if there is no Fault if the confrontation is extended, uh, then uh, there would be about 200,000 jobs lost, and GDP would lo- uh, lose about 0.3 percentage points. Uh, now, uh, for Korea and globally, uh, the uh, situation in the global economy is uh, very fragile right now because a lot of countries are still recovering from the pandemic. The United States has that. Uh, the uh, problems with the uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank and the First Republican Bank. Uh, So the uh, U.S. uh, banking system, especially for mid-sized and smaller banks, is very fragile right now. Uh, uh, So uh, no one's quite sure what's going to happen if U.S. economy does actually go into a default. Uh, Once we go into an X state, uh, it takes a bit of bad luck actually hit default. Now, United States never really had a real default, uh, so people may be underplaying its possibility, partially because the previous three confrontations, uh, even though uh, two of them did go past the X date, they did work it out in about 10 to 20 days. Uh, so 
but if he just had a really bad day where United States did not get the uh, daily income that they expected, well, there could be a def- default on uh, such a date. Okay. And you mentioned the uh, mid-sized to small-sized banks collapsing over in the U.S. This was also the topic of conversation for the financial leaders who called for better global regulatory oversight um, to new risks to these banks. Um, How do you assess the current banking situation in the United States? And does Korea have sufficient capital to buffer itself from a, a major fallout? Okay, well, if you look at the uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, their problems uh, could be basically boiled down into three points. One is that they were holding too much uh, long-term government bonds, and the uh, long-term government bond prices, the value had gone down because the interest rate has been rising, so that they lost assets very quickly. Uh, And then secondly, these banks had too uh, too much uninsured savings deposits, so people took it out uh, very quickly uh, from the banks uh, that uh, uh, that made the banks collapse. Uh, the uh, withdrawal took place faster than we've ever seen before, partially because of the uh, Internet. Uh, and then the third point is basically uh, people panicking that's an age-old problem of bank runs. Uh, so the uh, Fed has addressed the problems with holding too much government bonds. Uh, the uh, Fed now has borrowing facility, which lends uh, money using the government band, uh, bond as a collateral. Uh, but the important point is that they do not uh, lend money based on the market value of the uh, treasury bonds, but on the face value. So that compensates for the losses in value because of the rising interest rates. So that channel is probably shut off. And then the second is uh, the vulnerability from having too much uninsured deposits. That's still a problem. That's why they're discussing perhaps raising the limits for uh, deposit insurance. Uh, But uh, the problem uh, is thought to be limited to very few uh, banks. But the third is, as I said, the banking panic. Uh, The uh, withdrawal uh, people, uh, depositors panic. Uh, that's an uh, age-old problem. It's been around for hundreds of years. No one's really sure how to uh, deal with that. Uh, the tools that we have are things like deposit insurance, uh, things like uh, job owning, telling people that the uh, banks are solid, uh, and transparency. Uh, but it, that really cannot be fully controlled, so that is still vulnerable. Uh, but uh, the uh, exact channels that... Uh, made the SVB and First Republic vulnerable. A lot of that has been shut off. Uh, so in that sense, uh, the possibility of uh, crisis coming from those channels, I think, are minimal right now. But a lot of people are concerned that uh, some of these smaller and mid-sized banks in the United States have a lot of loans dealing with uh, commercial real estate. And the value of commercial real estate has come down uh, during the pandemic, uh, because people are working from the ho- working from homes, mm-hmm. and the value of these office spaces have come down a lot, so they tend to see this as a real vulnerability, and uh, that may become a problem. Uh, but right now, uh, people are worried, uh, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be a uh, major reason, a uh, major possibility for a uh, crisis in the U.S. 
uh, it will be a problem for perhaps a few uh, particular banks. Okay. For Korea, uh, the IMF has uh, looked at Korean banks and they said that there's no direct links to these weaknesses that we've talked about. Uh, so uh, most analysts believe that there will be no direct effect from any U.S. banking sector problems which will affect Korean financial system. IMF is generally satisfied with Korean banks' capital ratios. Uh, Korea's foreign reserves are slightly below IMF's recommendation that it's only about 3 to 5%. Uh, it is still one of the largest reserves uh, compared to Korea's GDP. Uh, so uh, Korea seems to be fine from at least the direct effects from uh, any possible problems in the U.S., but that doesn't mean that Korea is completely uh, invulnerable to what's going to happen in the U.S. There's an indirect effect. If there's a banking problem in the U.S., that will mean uh, fall in uh, U.S. GDP. That will affect Korean exports. Uh, we mentioned panic earlier. Uh, the uh, panic has a way of spreading to different countries. Uh, so that's another vulnerability that comes in, even if Korean banks uh, may not have any problems that are shared with the U.S. Um, and then there's the uh, macroeconomic effects, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, global credit crunch or a uh, drop in global trade that can happen uh, that will affect the Korean economy as well. Uh, what vulnerability Korea does have explicitly has to do with household and corporate debt. Uh, both of those are among the highest in advanced countries. Uh, so if Korea does have a real vulnerability, it does come from uh, debt, both corporate and household. Okay. Well, Professor, thank you so much uh, for the wrap-up of the um, G7 Financial Leaders Meeting, and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.